0: So I want to set the stage for this morning with the story of Exodus. For 400 years, the Jews were slaves in Egypt. After God meets with Moses in the burning bush, Moses approaches Pharaoh, and he says to him, Let my people go. Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and as a result, ten plagues occur on the land and on the people. In the final plague, uh, the eldest son of every person, of every family, of every animal uh, dies. However, the Jews are told to slaughter a lamb and smear the the blood on on the the door. And the blood of the lamb shall keep them safe from death. That this time that they also make bread for a journey. And as a result, the Jews, as a result of the plagues, as a result of what God's work has done, the Jews are driven out of Egypt, and they are set free from their life of slavery. However, Pharaoh's heart is hardened again, and he ends up chasing the Israelites to the Red Sea. And once again, God provides a way to freedom, but this time it is through the water. The water parts and Israel passes through on dry ground. Egypt tries to follow and they are swallowed up. And once again, truly now, Israel is totally free. In the years following, the Passover meal was celebrated by the Jews to remember the freedom that God provided for them. The sign of baptism also has roots. In the Exodus, of the people coming out of the water, being set free from slavery. Exodus 12 says this. Exodus 12, 24 to 27. This is right at the Passover. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and for your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians and the people bowed down and worshipped. So fast forward to the time of Jesus and Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples but in it he changes its meaning. Instead of being a political freedom from slavery, he ends up making a new covenant with his blood. He is the sacrificial lamb that sets them spiritually free. Romans chapter 6 says this. So what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should sure hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize that we packed up and left there for good? That is what happens in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in a new, grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that miserable sin life. No longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in sins, in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again would death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language. That means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. I love that description. Uh, it's from the message version. Paul states it this way when he talks about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, we look back at his death and at his resurrection, which sets us free from sin and death. And then we also look at the present, and we look inward into our own lives and confess areas where we're not living right before God. We look around, we look to others to ensure that our relationships with one another are also right. So then after looking back and looking at the present, then we also look to the future. We look to Christ's return when we will celebrate with him in eternity. There's always a few questions around communion that I want to end up addressing, just so that people are a little more clear, take a little bit maybe more time this morning on this one. The question of who is communion for? Who, Who should take it? My answer to this is everyone. Jesus asks everyone to come to his table. He is waiting to return until everyone believes in him. The thing is, it's his table. It's it's not my table that I'm inviting you to today. And because it's his, his table is holy. It's Jesus' table. Jesus is holy. His table is holy. And as a result, even though everyone's invited, you don't get to come however you want. You don't get to come on your terms. You must be clean. You must be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. So picture this to get it through a little bit clearer maybe. Hopefully, many of you uh, have had a, a good family gathering recently. The grandkids are outside playing or maybe they're out down in the basement and it's time for supper. Let's say it's grandma or mom or someone says, okay, kids, come on up. Time for supper. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. You don't get to eat supper without washing your hands. You don't get to come to grandma's table with grimy hands that have been sweaty and mucky and, you know, playing with all sorts of stuff. Lord Lord's is the same. Everyone's invited, except we don't wash our own hands. We allow Christ to wash us clean. So everyone is welcome. You just can't bring sin with you. You can't bring your own dirt, your own grime, your own mucky hands to the table. You need to recognize that Jesus is the one who forgives and washes clean. Second, you need to eat at the table with everyone else. There's no kids' table. There's no second-class table. There's no third-class table at the Lord's table. We have one big, long table that extends throughout time. We eat at the same table, as equals. All of us have sinned. All of us have been forgiven. You don't get to eat on your own. Take it and go watch TV. You know, I'll just do my own meal on the side while all the crazy family members, the in-laws, oh boy. You know, we all eat together. You don't get to eat from, uh, removed from Crazy Uncle Bob. Crazy Uncle Bob is at the table with you. You get to sit beside Crazy Uncle Bob. You get to love him. Even if you're having a hard time with it, at the Lord's table, we all sit together. Maybe you are Crazy Uncle Bob. You're welcome to the table. Maybe you've felt ostracized. Have you felt isolated from the church? There have been many times where communion hasn't been practiced well, the Lord's table hasn't been practiced well. And I'm sorry for those times where the church has has disappointed or let you down. You are welcome at the table. We just need to wash our hands, and we need to be together. You are all welcome to the table. Wash your hands and sit together. Uh, So, the question then, second question here that I have is uh, what's for supper? First is the bread. The bread represents the body of Christ. Our confession of faith, the Mennonite Brethren confession of faith, says it this way The sacrificial death of Jesus is for the establishment of a covenant, a covenant of oneness, a body, a partnership of being. Because Christ is one, the body of Christ, or the covenant community, is one. The supper produces an intimate relationship among those who participate. So we eat the bread as one body, worshiping Christ together. And then we drink. We use juice. It's more inclusive than using alcohol or wine. Uh, The juice represents the blood of Jesus. That was shed for when, when he died on the cross. It's, it's weird, if you think of it. It's poured out, this blood is poured out for you. It's a new covenant, not the old laws. It's a covenant that's formed by the pouring out of Jesus' blood, by Christ's death on the cross. Uh, the question of how often should we practice communion. In our tradition here, uh, we do it monthly. Uh, it's not something that is prescribed as to how often it should be done throughout the Bible. Uh, we've chosen money monthly, as, even, as many evangelical Anabaptist uh, churches end up doing. Uh, personally, I think it should be done more often, but I would also say that if we did it every week. I think we should have the perspective of how often should we think of the resurrection of Christ, how long should we look forward, how often should we look forward to his future return? How often should we examine ourselves in the present and our, our relationship with one another? We should do that more often. We should do that constantly. We chose, we've chosen to do it monthly. I think that's great. It's a great, great time. We do it every month. Typically at the end of the month, uh, we celebrate communion together. Uh, is it self-serve, as it is this morning, or is it pass the tray? Typically, here we, we serve one another. We, we serve the, the elements, the, the body and the blood of Christ to one another, typically. Today we're going to come forward uh, and take a piece and, and dip it in. Coming forward is a way to show that we have changed. We return to our seats, fed by the meal that is, and prepared to serve others. By dipping the bread uh, into the juice, it's more of a visual of the body suffering of, of, that Jesus endured. However, we also need to recognize that in, in this, we need to see that in the gospel, it, it's two separate actions. The bread and the juice and how, how the gospels record it. Uh, this method, uh, called intinction, uh, has been practiced by many traditions and is awfully done simply because of the practicality of it. And with it being the last, December, last Sunday of December and not sure who's all coming and having people commit well ahead of time to be here to serve and all those kinds of things, practicality sometimes just trump uh, we have freedom to do it this way. Uh, our MB Confession of Faith and uh, Church History has, has set for us that this is a, a valid way to, uh, to celebrate communion. So as we, as we prepare ourselves to come, come forward uh, and receive this, uh, take some time to pray. Take some time to get right, to, reveal, to ask God to reveal areas of, of sin, to confess the relationships that need to be mended, and when, you, when you've taken some time for that, taken some time to just admit before God, hey, I washed my hands, cleansed my hands. You've done it on the cross. Thank you for that. If you've taken time to look at your relationships and go, yeah, I'm in good relationship with others, or I'm going to make a commitment to get to a relationship, a healthy relationship, then come forward. Come and celebrate with Christ. Come to his table. The way we'll do it this morning, uh, take off a piece, take off a chunk Rip off, a, rip off, rip off a piece, and then just dip it into the into the juice. Uh, if you're uh, a, a celiac or you want gluten free, on the far not this tab- first table, there's one just behind this wall here uh, that that's a gluten free table, so you can even dip it into the juice there. It's just gluten free bread there. Um, my other thing that I'll, I'll point out as I tie together uh, communion and, and baptism is that if if you're a person who's ready to take communion, participating in the Lord's Supper, you're also ready for baptism. And if you haven't been baptized, I would love to have a conversation with you. Uh, We'll have baptism classes that walk you through what baptism is, why to get baptized, how to. If you're not really sure, I like walking people through that come and they're not even sure if they really want to get baptized. They're like, I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Okay, let's talk. And we just have a conversation. Uh, And I'd love to have that, that conversation with you. If you'd, Our our next uh, baptism sessions will be in March. And uh, just let me know if you're interested. Just send an email to the office and and, uh, I'll connect directly with you. We're going to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper together. Everyone's welcome. You just need to do it together and you need to wash your hands. You need to be cleansed. You need to ask Jesus to come into your life and cleanse you of your sins. And you're welcome at the table of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this new covenant of your blood. This new covenant of grace that you have set up. God, we thank you for your broken body and your shed blood for us. Those times where where we didn't hit the mark, we didn't didn't get things right according to your standard, that we can still be in relationship with you. God, thank you that we can do this in community. Thank you that we can do this in freedom and in safety, whereas so many other believers around the world don't have those freedoms. God, we celebrate you and all that you have done for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. In a minute, we're going to uh, have a person uh, come up here and uh, share their, her testimony of what Jesus has done in her life, and then be baptized. As well, we're also going to have another person come up and share their testimony and uh, become a member of our church. Uh, the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, for the Jews, the high priest was the only one, once a year, who could enter into the Holy of Holies, this, this inner sanctuary of the temple. And it was such a holy place that only the high priest Could go in there only once a year, and be in the presence of God. The Gospel of Mark shows us how this has been taken away. He uses a really unique word for those of you who are Greek scholars, far beyond me. Forgive my pronunciation here. Yizome, something like that, and it means uh, to rip, to tear. To tear up violently, that it, so violently that it can't be put together. We schizomide the bread with the juice. Mark uses this word uh, twice in his gospel: once at the beginning and once at the end. Mark one ten is records Jesus's baptism, and it says this: as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn, ripped, not being able to be put back together. Heaven torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. That's Mark's Christmas story of how Jesus, God incarnate, came to earth and changed the course of history. He doesn't go into the whole long Luke story with the wise men and all that. He basically just says, heaven has been ripped open and here he is. At the end of the Gospel of Mark, Mark uses the same word right after Jesus' death. Mark 15 says this, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last The curtain of the temple was torn, ripped, shredded violently in two from top to bottom. The curtain of the temple was what separated the holy of holies that the the high priest could only enter into once a year. This holy place where the, the presence of God was, that curtain just got ripped, shredded. It is no more. God is no longer confined to this holy spot. Humanity is no longer removed, separate from God because of the work of Jesus on the cross. The divide between the two, the barrier that was there has been shredded. Between God and humanity, God has come to humanity. Jesus's baptism, when the heavens are rended, when the heavens are torn open, certainly made a statement to people. And Jesus sets an example for us at his baptism. Baptism is a statement. The statement that Julian is going to make this morning is that she's a follower of Christ and wants the church and community to know about it. Becoming a follower of Jesus can be done as simply and quietly as a simple prayer in a person's bedroom. No one else is around. However, when people get baptized, they are making the statement that they don't want to be quiet about their faith. They want it to be public. Julian wants you and the church community and the community around us to know that she is a follower of Jesus. It's a statement that gets made. It's public. It's public. Baptism is also a sign. A sign in the Bible indicates God's presence. Some say that it's a public sign of what's happened privately. Others say that it's an outward sign of an inward reality. It's a sign of the transformation that's happened in a person's life. As they're, they're put under the water, it's a sign of them leaving their old way of life. When they're washed clean and they're raised to new life as they come out of the water. It's not that this happens to them right now, in the, in the moment. It's not their moment of salvation, of being washed clean. It's a sign of what has happened to them. It's a sign of what God has done in their life. It's a sign of being one with Christ as he died and was risen again. Our Confession of Faith says this, Baptism by water is a public sign that a person has repented of sins, received forgiveness of sins, died with Christ to sin, been raised to newness of life, and received the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a sign of the believer's incorporation into the body of Christ as expressed in the local church. In baptism, a person is incorporated into the local church. This is not just the, the church worldwide and throughout time, although that's definitely a part of it, but also a local expression where a person can grow and mature in Christ with the local faith community. So we've, we've chosen to combine that and co- with membership. We've called it membership, a way to, to strengthen the community discipleship. Members are publicly committing to the health and vitality of this church. Juleen is publicly demonstrating that she has been transformed in the image of Christ. Chris Randall is going to be coming up. He's saying, I want to be a part of this church in a way that is a public commitment that I will be committed to the health and vitality of this church, to the people that go attend, our participate, participants here. Uh, one component that we have to help this is our, what we call the sponsorship system. Uh, new members have been partnered with existing members that have, and have committed to connect with them and pray for them for their first two years as members. Uh, sponsors are t- typically in- intentionally chosen from outside of their regular circles of interaction for the purpose of encouraging diversity in our body. And we've seen great results as people have, have connected with one another that they wouldn't normally meet or even talk to on a Sunday morning, and yet now they're discipling one another and growing in Christ together. In case you wonder, over the 50 years of uh, history with this church, uh, 650 plus baptisms have happened. We average about 13 baptisms a year. I think that's something we're celebrating in our church. And again, if you're interested in, in being baptized or, or becoming a member of our church, uh, there's more information uh, by the Welcome Center for you. So, I would like to call Chris and Juline both up here now. Uh, in our tradition, uh, people share their faith story of what Jesus has done in their life. Uh, the way we'll, we'll do this is uh, Julie will go first, and, uh, and then me and her will run up to the tank and get baptized, and then I've asked Chris to, uh, to share a bit of his story as well. Uh, we also have the tradition of, uh, of providing a, a, a certificate as well as a, a scripture verse. Uh, I'm going to do that now because I'm going to be wet in a little bit, so... Uh, Juleen, your your verse here is uh, Psalm 62. Uh, Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And Chris, your verse is Psalm 147. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love.